Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 26, the fourth part of several concerning the history of Canaan. This episode, specifically on the history of the city-state of Ebla. Ebla, like I covered last week, was the site where the Ebla tablets were discovered. It was a major city in the biblical region of Canaan, in the focus of much of the trading in that place and era. But those are not the only reasons why it will get just over one episode. Ebla is also the predecessor to Aleppo. What's going on today in Aleppo? Just in case you don't know, I'll cover it next week. But first, the history of Ebla. So let's get started. Ebla was one of the earliest kingdoms in Syria at a site located approximately 34 miles or 55 kilometers southwest of the modern-day city of Aleppo. It was an important trading center during the 3rd millennium BC and into the first half of the 2nd millennium BC. Its discovery helped to solidify the belief that the Levant was a center of ancient, centralized civilization, possibly the contemporary equal to Egypt and Mesopotamia. A few researchers even consider the Ebalite kingdom as the first recorded world power. But, I also mentioned the same thing about the Sumerians, and no doubt will say the same concerning the Egyptians. Overall, Ebla started as a small settlement in the early Bronze Age, probably around 3500 BC, and developed into a trading empire and later into an expansionist power that imposed its rule over much of northern and eastern Syria. Its language, Ebalite, is now considered the second earliest non-Semitic language, runner-up to Akkadian. There were three successive kingdoms, which will be covered in great detail both this episode and next week. Eventually, it became a subject of, and then an ally to, Yamhad, the city now known as Aleppo, until Ebla was finally destroyed by the Hittite king Mursili I in about 1600 BC. Ebla maintained its good fortune through a considerable trading network. Artifacts from Sumer, Cyprus, Egypt, and even as far afield as Afghanistan have been recovered from the city's palaces. Overall, the society and government of Ebla was different from that of Sumer. Women enjoyed a higher status and the queen had a major influence in both state and religious matters. So how did it manifest itself that women had so much power? They received salaries equal to those of men and could rise to important positions and even head government agencies. On a different front, the Ebalites imported kungas from Nagar and used them to draw the carriages of royalty and high officials, as well as to give as diplomatic gifts for allied cities. And kunga, in case you didn't know, and I most certainly did not, is a hybrid of a donkey and an onager. Also, the society was less centered on the palace and the temple than in the concurrent Mesopotamian kingdoms. The Ebalite palace was designed around the courtyard, which is open toward the city, symbolizing, researchers suspect, that the religious and political administrations were approachable to the common person. This contrasts with Mesopotamian palaces, which resembled fortresses, with their narrow entrances and limited access to the external courtyard. Further, music played an important part in the society, and musicians were both locals, or in many other cases hired from other cities such as Marai. The ruins of the city were excavated starting in 1964, and became famous for the Ebla Tablets, an archive of about 20,000 cuneiform tablets, 
dated to around 2350 BC. These were covered last week, but in case you missed it, just know that they were written in both Sumerian and Ebalite using cuneiform script. The uncovered archive has allowed a better understanding of the Sumerian language and provided important information over the political organization and social customs of the mid-3rd millennium BC's Levant. They also provided insight into the land of Canaan. The word Ebla possibly means white rock, referring to a limestone outcrop on which the city was built. Like the Sumerian city-states of the era, its growth was aided by several agricultural settlements outside of the city. These settlements not only grew crops, but fostered the raising of livestock, such as sheep. The city benefited from its role as a trading post within a network of growing international trade, which probably began with the export of wool to Sumer. Archaeologists have named this early period Marduk I, which ended around 3000 BC. It appears that the name Marduk was chosen because it's also the modern name of the village where the artifacts were found. Marduk I is followed by the First and Second Kingdoms, which lasted from about 3000 to 2000 BC, and have been named very creatively Marduk II. Some scholars consider Elba to be part of the Kish civilization, which, as you may recall from a prior episode, was a group of East Semitic-speaking populations that stretched from the center of Mesopotamia to the western Levant. The overall area occupied by Elba and its surrounding agricultural lands is now part of Syria, Lebanon, and Turkey. Like I mentioned last week, it is the epicenter of the current Syrian civil war and includes the besieged city of Aleppo. But now, back to the history. During the First Kingdom period, which was between approximately 3000 and 2300 BC, Ebla is thought to have been the most prominent kingdom among the Syrian states, especially during the second half of the third millennium BC. This period has become known as the Age of the Archives, primarily related to the Ebla tablets. Like most of the history I've covered until this point, the general knowledge about the city's history prior to the written archives is obtained through excavated artifacts, the first stages of Marduk II are identified by what was apparently a royal palace built around 2700 BC. Toward the end of this era, the kingdom fought a war with Mari. This conflict lasted about 100 years. During the conflict, Mari was apparently winning, primarily due to the actions of its king, Sa'uma, who conquered many Elba cities. But, in the mid-25th century BC, King Kundamu of Elba defeated Mari. However, like we've seen so many times before, the victory had such a high cost that the state's power declined following his reign. After this victory, the city entered into what is known as the Archive Period, which lasted from about 2400 to 2300 BC. During this time, Elba paid monetary and other tributes to the city-state of Mari. Under King Ikrabdamu, in about 2340 BC, it became prosperous again and launched a successful counteroffensive against Mari. The king initiated a peace and trading treaty with the city-state of Abarsal, commonly thought to be one of the earliest recorded treaties in history. During this time, a man known as the Vizier was the king's chief official, similar to a modern-day prime minister, but he was not elected, instead he was appointed. 
the person who held the office also possessed great power. Ibrium, who I covered last week, was a vizier. During the reign of Isardamu, Ebla waged war on Mari, primarily because Mari had defeated Ebla's ally, Nagar, and in doing so blocked trade routes between Ebla and southern Mesopotamia. To defeat the Maris, Isardamu allied Ebla with Nagar and Kish. The campaign was headed by the Ebalite vizier Ibi Sipish, who led the combined armies to victory in a battle near Terka in present-day eastern Syria. The alliance also attacked Armi and occupied it, leaving Ibi Shippish's son, Enzi Malik, as governor. Ebla also conducted regular military actions against rebellious vassal city-states, including several attacks on Ibel, located in what is present-day western Syria. Ebla suffered what is referred to as its first destruction a few years after the campaign, probably after Ishodamu's death. The destruction, thankfully, refers to the ruin of the royal palace and most of the Acropolis, and not to the destruction of the written records. Of course, now that I think about it, had the records been destroyed, then the period probably wouldn't even have had a name. The first destruction occurred around 2300 BC. Interestingly, when the palace was burned, the clay tablets were baked in the fire at the royal archives, thereby preserving them. We know from these written records that during the archive period, Ebla had political and military dominance over the other city-states of northern and eastern Syria. The majority of the tablets from that period concern economic matters, but they also include royal letters and diplomatic documents. Giovanni Pettinatu, a 20th century Assyriologist at the University of Rome, proposed that the city was destroyed by a Mesopotamian such as Ianatum of Lagash, who posted of taking tribute from Mari, or possibly Lugozagasi of Uma, who claimed to have reached the Mediterranean. But there is another theory, and that is that the city of Ebla was attacked by an Akkadian. Both the kings, Sargon of Akkad, and his grandson, Naramsin, claimed to have destroyed a town called Ibla. The similarities of the names certainly lend credence to the theory. Finally, there is also a theory that a natural disaster or some other potentially man-made accidental disaster led to the destruction of Ebla. The primary reason for this theory relies on the thought that a fire destroyed the archive and also that the damage was limited to the area of the royal palace and that there is no convincing evidence of looting. At its greatest extent, Ebla controlled an area roughly half the size of modern Syria, about 36,000 square miles, or 92,000 square kilometers. For those of you in the U.S., this is an area about the size of the state of Indiana. If you live outside of the U.S., the area is roughly the size of Hungary, South Korea, or Portugal. Politically, many areas of the kingdom were under the direct control of the king and was administered by governors, but given the size and slow speed of communications, much of the empire consisted of vassal kingdoms. After the first kingdom, there is, quite naturally, the second kingdom, which was from about 2300 to 2000 BC. The second kingdom lasted until Ebola's second destruction, which occurred sometime between 2050 and 1950 BC. The Akkadians under Sargon and his descendant Naramsin, 
like I mentioned before, may have invaded the northern borders of Ebla, probably intending to conquer the area up to the forest of the Amanes Mountains. This range is on the extreme northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea. There were actually two separate invasions with roughly 90 years between them. Records of the attacks were found in both the Elba tablets and the records of Sargon and Naramsen. After the invasions, a new local dynasty rose to prominence, but maintained much of the society of the First Kingdom. Ebla preserved its earliest features, including its architectural style and its polytheistic religious practices. A new royal palace was built in the lower portion of the city, but other than that, little is known about the Second Kingdom because no written material has been discovered, aside from one inscription dating to the end of the period. And that is why historians love it when people keep copious notes, especially those written in a durable material. The Ebla economy was based on the movement of goods, aka trade. Researchers believe that its wealth was equivalent to that of Sumer, with its main economic rival being, of course, Mari. Ebla's main commodities were probably timber from the nearby mountains and textiles. Handmade household items also appear to have been a major export, evidenced by the quantity of artifacts, such as pottery, recovered from the palaces of the city. They possessed what appears to have been a wide commercial network, reaching as far as modern-day Pakistan. Textiles were shipped to Cyprus, potentially through the port of Ugarit, located in the modern country of Syria, on the Mediterranean coast. However, more trade seems to have traveled down the Euphrates via riverboats towards Mesopotamia, probably towards Kish. Not to forget, in one palace, artifacts were uncovered indicating that they were from ancient Egypt, and these artifacts bore the names of the pharaohs Khafra, who ruled around 2500 BC, and Pepe I, who ruled around 2300 BC. Despite there being no internal records attesting to the Second Kingdom, it was attested to in sources from outside of their society. In an inscription, Gudia of Lagash asked for cedars to be brought to him from Urshu in the mountains of Ebla. This also indicates Ebla's territories included Urshu, north of Karchemish in modern-day Turkey. It also gives a clue as to why Sargon may have wanted to invade all the way to the forests of the Amanus Mountains. Finally, there are texts dating to the seventh year of Emerson, probably from around 2040 BC, that mention a messenger of the Enzi of Ebla. Remember that Emerson was a ruler in the third dynasty of Ur. This, along with other artifacts, are thought to show that the Second Kingdom was considered a vassal by the Third Dynasty of Ur. However, the exact nature of the political relationship is unknown, but it did apparently include the payment of some sort of tax or tribute. A formal recognition of Ur's control may have been a condition for the right of trade with that empire. The Second Empire fell apart towards the end of the 21st century BC. Archaeologists mark its end with the destruction of the city by fire. But evidence of this disaster has only been found outside of the so-called Temple of the Rock, in the lower part of the city, and in the area around a palace, on the Acropolis. I know I'm talking about a lot of different buildings in this city, and in order to make things easier, I'll post a photo of the area on the podcast's Facebook page. But back to Ebla. 
the cause for the destruction is not known, which can't be too much of a surprise. After all, we don't really know the cause of the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871, either. But according to one researcher, it could have been the result of a Hurrian invasion around 2030 BC. This claim is bolstered by an inscription on the Hurro-Hittite legendary epic known as the Song of Release, which was discovered in 1983. In this poem, an Ebalite assembly led by a man called Zazala prevents King Meki from showing mercy to prisoners from Ebla's former vassal Ikkinkalis, provoking the wrath of the Hurrian storm god Teshub and causing him to destroy the city. And that's about all we know concerning the Second Kingdom. Next week, I'll begin with the Third Kingdom of Ebla and also cover the history of Aleppo. You don't want to miss it. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Finally, go to iTunes and give the podcast a positive review. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.